Our scripture passage today as we continue for the third Sunday to look at the account of the life of Gideon is found in Judges chapter 6 beginning with verse 33, continuing with chapter 7, concluding with chapter 7 verse 8. And I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn and read along as I read aloud from God's Word. Judges 6.33 through 7, verse 8. Now, all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, and he wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, "Uh, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the three hundred who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we look at your word together this morning, we recognize that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, to accomplish in our lives and our hearts what you would accomplish in each one of us as individuals. Lord, we recognize that through the power of your Holy Spirit, your word is alive, powerful and active in our lives. 
And so, Lord, we ask that you would touch each one of our hearts as you would have us be touched. That each one of us would go forth from this time of examining your word together this morning. With new decisions in our hearts and our minds, with new commitments, with those things that are right, good, honorable, true, and pure, and in keeping with you and your statutes, reaffirmed in our hearts. But that, Lord, none of us, as we approach your word, would be unchanged. That we would all be changed as we submit to your word. I pray, Lord, that my words would be in keeping with your word, because it is not my words that have any value, but instead it is your word alone which is holy and has power. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a break last week for Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I've been looking with you at the story of Gideon. I've been trying to examine this story together with you in a little different way, telling it in essence from Gideon's perspective. And so let us return to Gideon. Now you know that many people of our time, many people of many different ages, but our time was no different than the rest of them, named their children for their gods. And so in our day and age, you had a lot of children who had names with Baal in them. Baal, thus and such. Thus and such Baal. Well, if you look at the story that is given about me in the book of Judges, you will find that I was given a name, which included the name Baal in it as well. But more on that later. There weren't very many people in our time because they had turned away from worshiping the Lord God. There weren't very many people who had the name of God in their names. Do you think of how did people name their children for the Lord God? Samuel, L, short for Elohim, a name of God. Nathaniel, Mishael, various names <clears throat> which people used for their children. But instead, people named their children for these false gods. You think about things changing. And of all the disgusting names that you could be given as a child, names that are hard to pronounce, names that go out of style, nothing could be worse than naming, being named for a false god. Well, I was given this name, Jeroboam. Before you get the wrong idea, you have to realize that the way in which I got that name, Gideon, my original name, the way in which I got that name by which men called me, was when I tore down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah pole and burned it up. When the townspeople came to my father's house and said, bring him out for desecrating our altars, our shrines, we must execute him. My father said, hold it a minute. If he desecrated Baal's altar, Asherah's shrine, let them deal with him. Let them deal with him. And so my fellow townspeople called me the name which my father had given me, Jeroboam, which, if you don't know our language, it means let Baal contend against him. Let Baal fight against him. If Baal is so powerful, let Baal deal with him. 
He cut down Baal's altar. Let Baal deal with him. And so from that time on, the people were waiting for Baal to take revenge on me because I had desecrated his altar. And as time went by, the people became more and more comfortable around me again. The townspeople were willing to come up and talk with me. You can imagine that for a period there, I went through a little bit of time when people didn't want to get too close because they probably felt that if Baal was going to deal with me, it would be through a bolt of lightning or some other supernatural means. And you do not want to be standing next to a man who is struck by lightning. <laughs> so my name was Jerob Baal. But in tearing down the altar in the Asherah pole, <clears throat> And the days and months went by and no harm came to me. There was a blessing that came to the people of our village because they became freed little by little to their attachment to these false gods. But as time went by, I was also fully aware that the approaching time was coming closer and closer. And it was a quiet time. But I knew and got more and more nervous as time went by because I knew that the work that the Lord had revealed for me was not done. And as every day went by, it had to be coming closer and closer still. Sure enough, the report came in with the usual breathless fear by people in the outlying villages of our land. They said that all the Midianites, the Amalekites, And the other eastern people had joined forces and they had crossed over the Jordan and they camped in the valley of Jezreel. In other words, they were coming over in order to tear up our land and steal everything we owned, as they did from time to time. And I knew as a little bit of that apprehension and fear gripped me too, that the time was coming very soon which I would be called upon by the Lord to carry out what he had prophesied, what he had promised, what he had guaranteed that my life would be involved in as a mighty warrior for him. I was sure that as this time drew near, that my stomach would start turning and tying itself up in knots as I considered what it would be like to become a mighty warrior, which I had never been. And I was getting geared up for this time of great tension and worry and concern, expecting that I would share the fear of the rest of the people. But, you know, the amazing thing was that it wasn't like that. Because the amazing thing was that something unusual happened. Something unexpected happened to me. It was an experience that I could no more forget than I can forget the Lord's appearing to me at the wine press when I saw him face to face, when he appeared as a person to me. Instead of the onslaught of fear and worry taking hold of me, instead, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. The only way to explain it is as it's been explained at certain times throughout the history of our nation. Most recently, if you know the name Othniel, Othniel was the brother of Caleb, who was Joshua's partner back in the exodus from Egypt. Othniel had the Spirit of the Lord come upon him. And he went to war and he was victorious, defeating the king of Aram and all of his men, so that our land, the people of Israel, my people, had peace for a time. 
And he was one of those men who judged Israel. <coughs> it was also said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon those elders who the Lord indicated to Moses should come in to help him take the load of work off of one man's shoulders, Moses' shoulders, and share it among the 70 elders who were appointed. And when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, what did they do? They prophesied. They prophesied. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, and he went out in battle, and he was victorious. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon the 70 elders, and the result was that they prophesied. If it was the Spirit of the Lord, and that's fully what I believe it was, then I wish that following the Lord brought the Spirit's dwelling within people at all times. Because that was a time when I had a certainty, a boldness, a freedom that I have never before or since had. I was enabled to act during that time without the press and the flurry of self-doubt. It usually kept me from doing things. The Spirit caused me to prepare myself and our people for war. <clears throat> now, I don't see any of you smiling about the thought, but when I think back upon it, it was many years before this time, I smile at the thought of me. Me. The one who hid in the wine press, remember that? Me, hiding in the wine press because I was afraid of a skirmish of a few Midianite warriors coming to capture my grain. And so I snuck into the wine press to trample out the grain so that we could eat it. (laughs) Brave me! There I was, the timid one, the timid one who had gone out to knock down the altar and cut down the Asherah pole in the dark of night. Bold Gideon, calling the people of Manasseh, of Asher, of Zebulun, and Naphtali to arms against the hordes of Midianites and their allied enemies. And you ask, why did I do that? How did I become like that? The answer is clear. If you read the account, how I got that way, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit. God's Spirit, which gives people the power to do things that they, that they could never, ever do otherwise. But even still, when I boldly called together the people of our town with the trumpet, and when we sent messengers out into the surrounding people of Israel, we did not get a large turnout. The number of men that came in response to our messengers was barely a quarter of the number of our enemy. Barely a quarter. <clears throat> While the messengers were going out and calling for the men to fight, I had time to consider what I had done under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I had second thoughts. A thing that, as you know, was not, if you read the record, it was not unusual for me to have second thoughts. <clears throat> So I asked the Lord to reassure me. I said, please give me a sign. Give me a sign that you are going to do what you have said you will do through me. Looking back, I'm sure that if I had been he, I would have been sick of myself. I'm sure I was tiring him. This wasn't the first time I had asked him for proof of who he was. Proof that he would really be with me in what he was asking me to do. But this time I tried to think of some simple sign, not blazing lights 
or anything extraordinary like that. Just some ordinary thing that could be made by his power into something extraordinary. Something that would convince me. And I would look at it and say, oh yes, that is a sign. <clears throat> so I placed a fleece on the threshing floor. <clears throat> and I asked him to show that he would help me save Israel as he had promised by causing the fleece to be soaking with dew in the next morning while everything else around was completely dry. The next morning I received confirmation as I went out eagerly to see the results. Everything was bone dry but the fleece. And as I picked it up, it dripped off the water, wrung it out into a bowl, and I had a whole bowl full. That quieted my mind. But, you know, of course, those messengers took a while to do their work. They had to go to some somewhat distant parts, and it took a while for the men to gather and come back. Well, before the men had arrived to fight, I just had to check once more. I don't know whether or not you've ever wanted the Lord's confirmation of what you were about to do. <clears throat> but I guess in most things, I've done what I felt was right since that time. I've done what I felt the Lord wanted me to do since that time. It's good to have the law, God's law. Because God's law is a complete guide in many areas. But there are other areas in which you're on your own. Sure, you can get principles from God's word. But there are decisions that you have to make for yourself because they are personal decisions. It's in those areas where what you are about to do is the result of a personal decision that is unique to you in your situation. Where you are in a difficult spot having to decide whether this is God's will or whether that's God's will. It's easy enough when you look at this alternative and you say, no, that isn't right. God says, do not do that. Then you go that way. It's easy enough when you look at this decision and you look in comparison with the other alternatives and you say about all the other alternatives, no, God says they're all wrong. And so this is the only way to go. Nobody has a problem with that, right? <coughs> the problem comes <coughs> is when the situation is not that simple. Well, that was a time in my life that was a time in history because of God's imminent power working among us. When I was blessed, because I was filled with the Spirit of God, and I was able to ask Him for a miracle and get one as a direct answer. That hasn't always been the case since then for me. However, most of the time when I've wondered about some decision that I was forced to make, <clears throat> I've looked to the Lord for His answer. And I believe I found it, although not in the same extraordinary way that I found it at that time. <clears throat> the problem is, if you're seeking an answer from the Lord and you don't find any obstacles in the way, you're walking along the path and all of the doors seem to be opening before you, <clears throat> sometimes nagging doubts come into your mind. And you say to yourself, is that door open? Is that path clear? Because the Lord wants me to take it only to come to the end and find out that that's not the path He wanted me to take. What's going on here? Is it too easy? Is it too difficult? So anyhow, I got to thinking about that wet fleece and I got to thinking about that dry ground. 
And I won't say that I had doubts about it, but I will say that it occurred to me that perhaps that wasn't mm, quite enough of a test. <clears throat> Maybe there was a fluke rain that morning, for instance. I'm, I'm just suggesting some things. You know, this is, I'm not saying this is what I thought, but bear me out. Maybe a fluke rain. Maybe one of the servants or people in the house had gone out during the middle of the night and poured a pitcher of water on that fleece. <clears throat> now, I didn't tell anybody about this test because that would have destroyed the whole test. It was a secret between me and the Lord. I got to thinking about that. and <clears throat> So in thinking about it and having that time to consider, I went to the Lord again and I said, Now, now don't be angry with me. Don't be angry with me. But let me just make one more request. Allow me just one more test with that fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. <clears throat> now you may be thinking to yourself as I tell you about this that happened to me. <clears throat> you may be thinking to yourself, well, I would be satisfied with just one simple miracle. If the Lord had appeared to me as a man... And if he had taken the meal that I offered him and consumed it and the rock underneath it by touching it with his staff and disappearing in thin air, that would be enough to me. From then on, I would move. Nothing would stop me. I would move and keep moving. Whatever direction he said to go, I would go. Or you may be saying to yourself right now, one fleece would have been enough for me. I'll just take one fleece, Lord. Give me the wet fleece in the dry ground and I will be satisfied that I have made the decision that you wanted me to make. Just please, one fleece. <clears throat> Maybe you've asked the Lord for a sign to show you that you are following the right course. Now, if you have and you've gotten the answer to that sign, whether it was as miraculous as the Lord appearing to you as a man and consuming the meal and the rock, whether it seemed as simple as a wet fleece and dry ground, whatever it was, you realize when you got the answer to that sign, you were at the same position I was at. Where's that? Well, the position you're at at that point is, where do I go from here? You may be thinking to yourself, well, he got those answers, of course he's going to go forward. That's not the way it is. You get the answer. You still have to walk. If a miracle happens to you, and you know what the Lord wants you to do without a doubt in your mind, you still have to do it. And that's where I was. I still had to do it. I had the answers. I had a multiplicity of answers. Numerous answers. This answer and the opposite answer. Seeing the Lord face to face and when He appeared to me as a person. <clears throat> but all the signs in the world won't get you one step further than you were willing to walk in faith. <clears throat> and so as I looked at what was ahead, I knew at this point that the Lord had given the guarantee that He would allow Israel, through my leadership, to defeat Midian and all the gathered armies. How? What was going to happen to me? Who knew? I hadn't asked. I hadn't been given an answer. <clears throat> what would be at the end? No idea. 
But all I knew at this point was that I had confirmation. The Lord said, do thus and such, and confirmed it by the signs. And I knew as well that I had the power because the Holy Spirit had been given to me. And as a result of His Spirit, I had been made able, capable, bold, wise, and courageous enough to begin the task and to trust Him for the completion of it. Now, as I'm telling it, you may say, well, that's a lot of time talking about the men coming back as a result of the messengers going out and calling for fighting men to come fight the Midianites. It took a lot longer to happen than it took for me to tell. Because Israel had no regular army at that time. So all we got was a herd of men who had come from their fields in their everyday business as carpenters, as shepherds, as millers, as artists, as stonemasons, and the like. And I was charged with before the Lord with the task of making an army of the 32,000 motley men who appeared before me. <clears throat> now, some of you may have some comprehension or idea of the task that that is. Making an army out of untrained men is a task perhaps above all other tasks because you have to train and train and put them together to the point where they function as a unit rather than as individuals. As I look back on all this and my consideration at this time, I can talk about it with a little bit of perspective. I can even laugh about it now when I look back at it. But you have to believe me when I say that what happened next was not at all expected or in the least pleasant for me or for any of us. Because the Lord spoke at that point when the 32,000 men had gathered and he said this, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. (laughs) You think about that. I can laugh about it now. I wasn't laughing about it then. In retrospect, I've wondered a little bit if this wasn't part of the Lord's way of dealing with all of my little itsy-bitsy tests along the way. Saying, Lord, if this is really what you want, then give me a wet fleece and dry ground. If this is what you want, then give me a dry fleece and a wet ground. And so, in part of his way of perfecting me as well as the people and performing this miracle, in his mind, he may have been thinking, you have tested me now. It's my turn to test you. And so we made that announcement. And I thought to myself, well, that's okay. 32,000 men were still vastly outnumbered. But, let see, let's see. Maybe we'll round it off to an even 30,000. Lose 2,000, retain 30,000. <clears> and I wasn't reckoning on the hardships and the oppression that we'd suffered at the hands of the Midianites over the years. Because when that announcement was made, I and all those around me realized that those men were just plumb scared. They'd come. I don't know what they'd come for, but they'd come. They were plumb scared. And at that moment, we lost 22,000 men. 22,000 men. And they didn't have to slink away secretly. You think about those times when you say, okay, anybody who's scared can get up and leave. 
You think of some person near the back sort of creeping out the door. Well, there were so many men that left that they just sort of turned around, looked at each other, and got together in groups and walked away. And the men who were left were looking at Two-thirds of the people had just got up and left. And we had 10,000 people now to fight 120,000. Shoo! I sweat even now as I think about it. That was a terror-filled day. What in the world? 32,000, we can't do... 10,000? 10,000? Who in the world expects us to accomplish a victory with 10,000? And much as I was worried by the Lord's reason for sending the men home, and so many at that, it also gave me a perverse sense of confidence. The one thing that I realized is I heard his message to me, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, was that he was serious about it. Now, I knew that before this point, but when you hear a message like that, you have too many men for me to accomplish this task, you say in your mind, he's going to do it. He is going to do it. It's really going to happen. You've got too many men.